This is the Great Escape Podcast, Episode 5. We are go for liftoff in T minus 30. All systems are attacked. In this episode, I'm talking to multi award winning wedding DJ and wedding master of ceremonies, Terry Lewis, who also trains wedding professionals and others on his sales and marketing techniques. Terry's journey from very, very poor beginnings in his early life through his corporate career and then on to finding something that he truly loved doing is really inspirational. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode of the Great Escape podcast. Terry, tell me about your life, your corporate life before you you changed. Sure. Okay. Well, I my corporate life began, I guess, at the end of my education. And uh, I decided towards the end of my education that I wanted to work in the city of London. Why? My background is from a council estate. Mum raised me on, on, on my own. I lost my father. Well, my, my stepfather, when I was 13 years old, to a, to a heart attack. And mum raised five kids practically on her own with the help of state benefit. And I remember, you know, we lived at number 71 Bluebird Walk, Chalkley Estate, Wembley Middlesex, HA99YB. And it was on the top floor and it was beautiful because there was a lot of love at home, but it was horrific because I would remember walking home from school and uh, on, you know, one of the walkways, I remember seeing a chalk outline that prior to I'd only ever seen on, you know, maybe Kojak or (laughs) one of those detective stories. Lots of drugs and crimes. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get out of this. And I decided that the city of London was calling me. So I managed to get a job. It was at the time when Margaret Thatcher began selling off the family silver privatizations. And so I found this company that were looking for people to help with the new issues. So I um, was literally, Stuart, just writing out these, signing these share certificates, stuffing them into envelopes and sending, you know, you know, piling them up and they would then get sent out. And I thought, this is not quite the city job that I... <laughs> so I remember this job came up in the evening standard for legal and, general, legal and general investment management. And I applied, went along for the interview. And then about two, three weeks later, I got this sorry letter, this, this, this rejection letter. And I remember distinctly recalling what I did with that letter. I tore it up into as many, because, you know, at the end of it, it said, oh, we keep your, your details on file. And with, I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just tore that letter up into the bin, thought nothing of it. Well, about two, three months later, they did call me back. And I got, you know, my dream job, which was working for a firm of fund managers, um, in the uh, administration department. And what we did was, you know, the banking and the uh, meeting reports and corporate, uh, uh, sorry, quarterly qu- quarterly meeting reports and, 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 and so on. And I loved city life. You know, I wore a suit and a tie, bought the FT, had a briefcase with my sandwiches inside it. It was wonderful. And I did that for a number of years. And, you know, as you began to 
well, when you're at a company for a while, you start to get more and more responsibility. And I found myself waking up at five in the morning. I was coming home at 10 at night. And the kids, you know, I've, I've got four children. At the time, we had two. And uh, I just wasn't seeing my children, Stuart. And although I was earning, I had no quality of life whatsoever. And then we got into financial trouble. And I remember uh, the opportunity to work overtime happened. So I was working even longer hours. And it got to the point where I became so ill from the stress of overworking that my skin just broke out. I've always suffered with eczema. You, you know, right now you might not believe it. And, you know, to the listeners out there, if you saw my skin, it's like a, you know, like a baby's bum. But that's only because I moisturize about five, six times a day. <laughs> but <clears throat> when I became ill from the stress of work, my, my skin just broke out. There was hardly any flesh. And I remember when I eventually got to the doctors and he said to me, do you want to go into hospital? I almost broke down in tears because I didn't realize how much help I needed and how much stress I was under. And it just felt like such a relief. Anyway, the bottom line, I was hospitalized for about six weeks or thereabouts. And then I was off work. I couldn't even tell you how many months. But the only reason I went back was because uh, the company said that, you know, if you don't um, come back by a certain date, then you'll go on to the state benefits income, which we wouldn't have been able to have survived on. So I went back to my to my day job. And, um, you know, I managed my time better, you know, my health improved. Um, but I no longer loved the city because I saw what it did to me. Um, <clears throat> and it was around about the mid-90s when I discovered salsa dancing. Yeah. <clears throat> and I went along to a club um, on a Monday evening with a friend of mine called Foller. And I just fell in love with the rhythm. I had no idea where the beat was. I don't know if you've done salsa, but yeah, the classic rhythm is one, two, three, five, six, seven. And you kind of move your steps and your body to that rhythm. And I remember after the class, grabbing this girl, complete stranger saying, look, you've got to teach me this. I need to hear the beat. Anyway, long story short, I became okay at salsa, you know, to the point that I um, began teaching it. And that was my escape out of the city. And before going into the city, I made a promise to myself, and it was this, that I would only ever do what I love doing for a living. And when I stopped loving the nine to five, that's when I knew that I had to escape, but it was the eczema condition that forced change within my life. <clears throat> so I became okay at salsa and I met my, my ex-wife through salsa dancing. So our babies are salsa babies, you know, because we met in the club and that was our joint passion together. <clears throat> we set up uh, a club and it grew and it got to the part where we had nine weekly salsa clubs 
we were teaching around the UK. We got invitations to uh, work in Ireland initially, uh, then in Europe, and then we even managed to get some work in, in Miami, which was off the hook, really, really was. And I remember one day, a salsa promoter in Dublin invited myself and my, and my ex-wife over to, to their club. And I left the city job and I remember going home and then straight to Stansted Airport. We caught the uh, Ryanair flight into Dublin and from the airport to the hotel and from there to the club. Well, Stuart, I remember just having the time of my life. Danced all Friday, taught workshops on Saturday, DJ Saturday evening, workshops on Sunday, DJ Sunday evening. And then I remember being in the departure lounge, Dublin Airport, Ryanair flight, so obviously no seats in the departure lounge. So I'm sitting down on the concrete floor, on the um, 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 tarred floor, and I thought, I'm going to resign today. And so I flipped up, yeah. I flipped open my um, Sony Vio, Vio laptop, which is what I had at the time. I'm a Mac guy now, but back then it was Sony Vio. Flipped it open. I typed a two-line letter of resignation. And I basically said to my boss, I'm leaving. And I signed it. And then I went into the office and it was back in the days of floppy disks, you know, so I, <laughs> I, I downloaded it onto a floppy, put it into my drive at work and I printed off two copies of my letter of resignation. And then I called in my two line managers and I just slid them a copy of the letter. And that was one of the best feelings in the world. Even though I still had a month or however long they made me stay, you know, for, to, to work at my notice, I just felt relief. And that was the overwhelming feeling that I experienced. It was just one of Im immense relief. Um, and my bosses thought it was a bit irrational. What are you going to do? And, you know, I didn't tell them because, you know, I had my plan in my head anyway. But by then, Stuart, the Salsa Club had um, overtaken the city income that I was earning. And so, you know, I knew that we would be okay. Uh, and so that was my exit. That was my great escape. But it was out of passion. So I was passionate about the city. When that fell, I needed that new passion. And it became Salsa Dancing. And although I was working, because I loved it, it wasn't work at all. And so how did I move from salsa into weddings? Well, one day one of my students said to me, Terry, look, I'm getting married. I want you to DJ at my wedding. And I thought, well, I've never done this before. And, but I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And she also wanted a salsa lesson as part of the evening celebration. So I thought, yeah, this could be fun. So I went along and I did this wedding and uh, it was brilliant because in our salsa clubs, people would turn up with sawn off t-shirts and they'd be just like jeans and they'd be sweaty and hot and vibrant and all of those wonderful things. But at the wedding, it was completely different. I was in this magnificent barn or venue or, or room or whatever, and everyone was dressed up beautifully. But what really got me, what drew me to weddings was that everyone was there and they brought their best self to the wedding. 
And everyone was there just for two people who were in love. And even though those hundred or so guests, I guess in the outside world, all had their daily problems and challenges and, you know, wants and drives, at the wedding, everyone just seemed to be bringing the best version of themselves. And it was an environment that I just felt, wow, this is amazing. And in that moment, I decided that I was going to become a wedding professional. This was 2008. And so... Pretty challenging. Yeah. Oh, gosh, absolutely. It was a pretty so challenging time to... I set myself uh... a challenge and I said... Terry, if you can get 24 weddings for 2009, a year later, then you know that you've got what it takes to make it. <clears throat> so back then, uh, because I had no name for myself, I had to what I call drag buckets, which I'll explain a bit later on if we have time. Um, and dragging buckets is where you have to go and graft for work. Where do you find them? Facebook. And back then I didn't understand adverts. I still don't understand Facebook ads, but you know, my knowledge is a little bit better now. And so I was just spamming on Facebook. You know, I'm a wedding, this, that, the other, hire me, go to my website. I would buy leads from wedding directories like um, um, Confetti or UK Bride. I used Hitched. And so I was trying to get leads being poured into my inbox. I would attend wedding fairs as well. And all of these, if you like, mass market areas where you can acquire leads, I was going through all of that, Stuart. And uh, um, I was kind of successful at it to a degree, um, but it was, it was a struggle back then. Um, bottom line, I managed to get 26 weddings for 2009. And so I thought, I can do this. So I just kept on going, got to 2011, 2011, and things just weren't going right. Even though I was grafting, I wasn't getting the types of brides and grooms that I really wanted to serve. And so I thought, what do I do now? And I can remember uh, forming a, uh, a networking group of other wedding professionals, wedding DJs. And we brought together some of the best minds and most brilliant wedding DJs and master of ceremonies together. And we would meet on a monthly basis. And I learned so much from that group. In fact, you know, that's where my knowledge and uh, my understanding, you know, the way that I began to change the way that I thought, where it wasn't about me or my performance behind the decks, or I wasn't really emceeing back then as a master of ceremonies or as a wedding host, not as a you know, rapper emcee. Those guys, they taught me how to put the bride and groom first, but I still needed something different in order to stand out. You know, I, I, I knew that it was possible to get booked up a much easier way other than grafting. And for me, I remember in 2011 thinking, I'm going to make winning awards my thing. And so I thought, I'm going to enter in 2012. But I knew I had to do the work in 
over-delivering in 2011. Because I knew come 2012, I'm going to have to ask the 2011 brides for testimonials and feedback. So just to add a little bit more pressure on top of myself, I thought I need to stand out as well in the eyes, in the eyes of my couples. Terry, you're going to offer a money-back guarantee. And that was driven, I don't know if you remember, uh, Victor Kayam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> with these razors, you know, yeah. you, you, you'll have the closest shave ever or your money back or something similar. And that advert just popped into my mind in the small hours of one morning. And I thought, Terry, you're going to do that. You are going to put everything on the line in the service of your brides and grooms to make sure that they absolutely love everything you do or you're going to give them their money back. So I did that. And I think it was a combination of wanting to win the award with the added pressure of, Terry, you know, <laughs> finances aren't too good. <laughs> you really need to excel every single time you go out at a wedding. And as a result of that, I, I won my first award in 2012. And I can remember, you know, presenting my win to, obviously I declared the um, accountability a year earlier and you know to be honest I was surprised and I know the members of the group were surprised as well but in a good way you know they you know it was a very supportive group and my win was their win and their wins were my win as well and I remember someone saying to me well you've won it you know you should stop there because someone who I know won awards and then they entered and then they didn't win anymore and then their work fell off because people thought, well, you won this award. What, what happened thereafter? You, know, you declined. But I ignored that advice. And I'm so glad that I did because I then went on to win six more. Why? Because I thought I didn't want to be a one hit wonder, first of all. And then I thought to myself, well, yeah, I'm an award winner, but someone else could win an award as well. And we're kind of level. And so I just wanted to be kind of like greedy. You know, I just wanted to amass and collect as many as I possibly could. So I ended up with six. And after I won my sixth one, and one of those being awarded best national wedding DJ in England, um, which was an amazing feeling when I went to go lift that one. I, I then got invited to become a judge at TWIA, the Wedding Industry Awards, uh, you know, which was a great honor. And um, but one of the conditions was, of course, that I could no longer compete. You know, just vote for myself. It wouldn't be ethical. It wouldn't be right, would it? So, <laughs> um, so that was my and and that's really when things changed because I was putting my fee on the line because I was taught by this networking group how to care more deeply about over delivering upon your clients' expectations, where it comes internally, you know, from you know from the heart, where you kind of treat it. Okay, so it's not your wedding, but it's as close as it possibly could be because my couples and me, we wanted the same thing, which was for everybody to float out of that venue, just feeling like nothing on earth could have gone better. And uh, I then figured out that there was a formula that produced these results for myself. And other wedding professionals saw the change in, in my business. It was tangible. You, know, you could see that something new and different and better was happening. Terry, you know, what are you doing? How are you getting these results? And so I began to teach on a one-to-one -one basis. And, and uh, at first, I kind of thought, 
am I qualified? You know, can I do this? You know, who am I to? But, you know, they've asked. And so, you know, I, I offered. And, and um, my students began seeing these changes in their results as well. You know, from going from price shoppers to better paying brides and grooms, you know, from being in under demand to getting to a point where they were getting to the point where they had more inquiries coming in than ever before. And not from the grafting way, which we spoke about earlier, you know, with the, the wedding fairs and buying leads and through the best way possible, which is word of mouth recommendations. And not just from fans, but from, yeah, and when I say fans, I mean people who have experienced what they do at a wedding. You know, I'm talking about from um, wedding venues talking about from wedding planners, from other wedding professionals as well. And that's really, I guess, when things shifted for me. By putting my couples first, my service and the delivery just inclined. And uh, I then began to think about what exactly was it that made the change. And and I then poured all of that into my one-to-one training. And that's now what I teach to other wedding professionals. And I've kind of gone through this journey where I'm at a point now where I absolutely still love wedding DJing. Now I love the master of ceremonies even more than the wedding DJing. And uh, although more often than not, I get booked to do both. Now I'm at my happiest when I'm just acting as a master of ceremonies, because with all of that experience and background, I know that I can make such a massive change to the way people feel, not just the bride and groom, but the wedding guests at the wedding. And it's really hard to explain, but you know, you're responsible, you're able to just carry the emotion of people and articulate that through the short thing, because it's not about me at all. It's just about me shoehorning introductions and and outros and setting the scene because everything is about the focus of the bride and groom. I never lose sight of that. But the small things that I do, I try and do them to the absolute best of of, of my ability, but to the benefit and to, you know, the happiness and the success of the bride and groom. And, uh, that is really what I I love doing, um, and 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 you know it's worked um, to the point that there are, if you like, two key pillars that I train wedding professionals to to master, which then allows them to get this abundance of work, and that is really what my training is is all about. And the idea is that I take these underperforming wedding professionals who I guess at some point were like myself, where they were struggling to get booked to the point where they are able to have this abundance of good quality inquiries. That's a really fascinating story, Terry, Um, and sort of change after change after change after change. So it kind of blows my six steps uh, sequence completely out of the water. But hey, rules are there to be broken because at each step you've grasped an opportunity that almost serendipitous uh, opportunities that have popped up rather than necessarily had a plan. But what I do sense is that as time's gone on, you have made things a bit more systematic and a bit more planned in order to be repeatable. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and that's the key. That was something that dawned on me 
only after time, only after people started saying, Terry, how did you do it? When I began teaching one-to-one, I found I was repeating myself over and over again. And I thought, hey, you know, there is a formula, there is a system here because, you know, I was training initially wedding DJs, but then I began teach, you know, one of my most distant students who lived in Romania and he had, he had five wedding venues that two of them were performing well, but the other three weren't performing so well. And so together we worked together. And I thought to myself, well, if what I'm teaching can help wedding DJs and venue owners in Romania and there's a venue owner in Ireland who, who I've helped and lots of people in the UK, wedding planners and uh, invitation card makers, uh, photographers, videographers, wedding, pla- uh, uh, wedding, wedding celebrants. Um, I've helped people across 19 different industries using this system. And what really lifts me is when people come on video or they send me an email or call me up, and they say, Terry, you know, I've been able to contribute my prices and still get booked because I'm now long, I'm no now no longer attracting the price shoppers. You've taught me how to open my mind and my marketing and my position into the point where the better paying brides and grooms who don't book on price but they book on value are now open to my offer. And that is what really drives me. Yes, I'm running a business, but what drives me is the results that I'm able to get for other people. That's an absolutely inspiring story, Terry. Thank you so much My pleasure. For, for sharing it with us. And um, we will be keeping an eye on how this new training course, which uh, I'll put links to in the show notes as always. And if you want to get hold of Terry, Uh, on anything else all of his contact details will be there too please do share this podcast with anybody you think might find it interesting and if you want more information about the great escape podcast you can find us at greatescapepodcast.com please do keep the conversation rolling and if you know somebody with an inspiring story uh, get them to drop me a message stuart at greatescapepodcast.com so that we can set up an interview for them. Thanks very much. Talk to you next time.